Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bugay. Hey, Chris. Hey, what's going on, Rachel? Not much. We're going to keep answering our question from Caleb this week. That's right. So just as a quick reminder from last week, we got a, a well, many weeks ago, we, we got an email from um, someone named Caleb who wrote me on LinkedIn. Caleb works in Singapore and has been attempting to implement the specific language system first approach, but not just that, even more in depth about AEC in general. Got to do some training with uh, 120 teachers, he says, but he did have some questions, some clarifying questions. Uh, last time we talked, we talked a little bit about the um, the prompting hierarchy, but today we're going to get into a second question. So you ready, Rachel? I'm ready. Having recently heard and seen more information regarding Gestalt language processors and knowing that many of our students with autism learn language in chunks slash phrases instead of single words, should we be modeling functional phrases like, let's get Oreos instead of want Oreos or Oreos? Essentially, what are our thoughts about how Gestalt language processing works in relation to AAC? All right. This is a big one, Chris. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I'm thinking about ATAA last year. Um, and it was just like all the rage. Everyone was talking about Gestalt language processing in AAC. Um, and so anyway, I'm giggling because of that. So I can give you my thoughts. I can I tell you what I think. Um First of all, let's preface the conversation by saying we don't have any research to help guide us in this area. Uh, we do have, you know, some insight about Gestalt language processing. Um, and maybe, Chris, I feel like we need to define it for our audience, for people who are like, uh, what is that? Um, so essentially, it's this idea that there are two different kinds of language processing. The one everyone's most familiar with is analytical language processing, meaning you learn, you know, words as single units of meaning, uh, and then you build, start building, you know, phrases and sentences. Um, so this is the way that we think about language development. Tip, this is the way we think about language development. Typically, you know, babies start learning how to say bottle and then they start saying give bottle or my bottle. And we start building kind of language from the ground up. The idea of Gestalt language processing is that uh, individuals have the ability to learn chunked phrases of language that still have a single unit of meaning. So every kind of language processing has a single unit of meaning. It's just with analytical language processors, that single unit of meaning is a single word versus Gestalt language processors. They could have a whole string of words in a phrase or sentence that has a single unit of meaning. So that's just kind of the definition. Did I do the definition justice, Chris? Yes, I would add one little clarifying feature here, and that is um, the concept of the morpheme. So we hinted at it a little bit last week, but let's mention it here too. The smallest unit of meeting is actually a morpheme. So a morpheme is, uh, there could be multiple morphemes per word. So for instance, uh, it, it, uh, the word stop that's a morpheme. But if I added ing to it, stopping, now we have two morphemes. We have the stop and the ing. And by adding that ing, it slightly changes the meaning of the word 
right? It, it provides a different meaning than the word stop, right? It means we're in the action of doing it rather than telling someone to do it or commenting about something. Um, we're, we're describing the action, right? So, um, or stopped means we're at the, the meaning has changed. It means we're in the past tense now. We're describing something that has happened in the past. So that really, yes, I think that's important in this discussion because uh, in phrases, you might have multiple morphemes. Uh, individual words would be morphemes, and then the parts of those words might be morphemes. Um, and in individual words have might have multiple morphemes. But I feel like that's a clarifying feature that just needs to be discussed. So, Yes, I agree. Let's not forget about those morphemes. All our SLPs out there are like, oh, morphemes, yeah. They're really geeking out today on the podcast. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Now, what are some signs, I guess, maybe that a student is a Gestalt language processor? I think the biggest one is where we hear kids that are scripting from movies and television shows and things like that. Can I stop you right there? Yes. I think the biggest sign, this is, this is and Chris is standing, climbing up onto a soapbox here, but here it is. The biggest sign that someone's a Gestalt language processor is that they're breathing. And then the reason I'm going to say that very significantly like that is because I feel like Everyone is a Gestalt language processor, and everyone is also a um, analytical language processor. And that the way it's presented sometimes is that you're either one or the other, and that you can't be both. And I find that is, in my experience, that is completely false. That I have learned certain phrases because there's Gestalts that I have learned, and then there's also many individual morphemes that I've learned, uh, and uh, that it's not one or the other; it's both. And I. I base that that on um, well, just every person that I've ever met. <laughs> whether you have autism, whether you have a uh, whatever your complex communication needs might be, or whether you don't, um, it seems like everybody is both. And so, there, could it be that somebody's more? Sure, but I I, I I really feel like it's really dangerous to say someone's a Gestalt language processor or an analytical processor. It's better to think of everybody as both and then think of strategies that could be used to teach with both of those in mind. The other thing I'll say is that I feel like the biggest takeaway for me as I've learned more about Gestalt language processing is that many autistic students get stuck using gestalts that people aren't recognizing. So we hear our student with autism saying to infinity and beyond to, to mean up, right? And we're just ignoring that or, you know, not recognizing that as valid communication. And so for me, one of the biggest aha moments was to really listen to every communication that a student is showing us, even if it feels like it's scripting from a movie or a TV show or a song and then trying to do the kind of detective work to figure out what's actually underneath that gestalt or that script. Um, and so I think that's where, you know, we're tending to see a lot. It's becoming more obvious and prevalent in autistic students because they're the ones getting stuck. And if we're just not acknowledging the communication that they're showing us, then, you know, we aren't, aren't really doing our detective work to figure out what's the meaning behind it. Um, so I feel like that's the first thing to kind of think about is how are your students communicating in what context and what context are they using these scripts or gestalts and what's the meaning behind that? 
Yes, let's just clarify that too. So you could have two different students, both using the same Gestalt. Uh, let's you, you, you said uh, to infinity and beyond, and for whatever reason, when they learned that 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 phrase together, we I, I can think of those as individual words, but really it's just a whole phrase together, right? All those sounds come together as one unit. Um, and two individual people might associate that with a different meaning, you know. Uh, maybe, uh, for instance, student number one was sitting on the couch with their uh, loved one, and that Buzz Lightyear says this in the movie, and for whatever reason, that loved one gives them a hug right there at the time, or they were eating something together, and, and there's this moment of joy and happiness happens when that phrase is said, and you've made this connection that... To infinity beyond means I get a hug from my parent or, or from my loved one. And then person number two, like I said, maybe they're sitting there and they're eating chips together. And when to infinity become to infinity and beyond comes on the screen while they're eating chips and forever, then they think I'm going to associate to infinity beyond with requesting potato chips, right? And so it wouldn't be a common shared meaning between those groups of sounds put together, even though they're the same groups of sounds. Is that fair? Yeah. And I think that that's where like talking with families and really observing the students that you're working with to figure out what is the underlying meaning um, is really important. And it's not always obvious. Um, and Especially if it's, you know, something from a movie, TV show or song. Um, I've definitely been going back and listening and watching, you know, specific clips to try to get some more information about here are the context that we see this, you know, child using this language. Um, now it makes sense to me, you know, given the fact that I watched this clip from, you know, Zootopia. Um, and so I feel like it's really doing that detective work to figure out like what is the meaning behind it and then how can we help, uh, you know, create new phrases and new language that help better communicate that meaning um, in a way that is universally understood. So in a way, so let's take a phrase like uh, to infinity and beyond, and that means I want a hug, right? Because it's associated. So then we would, when a person says uh, to infinity and beyond, we might use the communication device to say, to, to model, um, uh, I like hugs, or I want a hug, or um, hug now, please, or something like that. It's like, this is another way so we can associate these words with that phrase. Mm -hmm. Does that sound, again, sound fair? Yeah, it sounds fair. I think where it gets like really tricky is that, you know, when we are working with students who have access to verbal speech, it becomes a lot easier to just say a new phrase and have them repeat that phrase. But with our AAC learners, it becomes a big challenge to be figuring out how to build sentences or phrases, um, thinking about motor planning, meaning, you know, in order for me to say I like hugs and to generate that, it takes a lot of motor planning. It takes a lot of learning where those individual words are and putting them all together. Um, and so I think the question that everyone in the AAC community is thinking is like, how do we do this to support motor planning? Do we change the device? Do we program scripts into the device or gestalts into the device? And I think that's where, like, at least everyone at ATIA and still, I think, currently is like, what do we do? And, you know, there's definitely different schools of thought there. If you are of the camp that everybody's both, then you wouldn't have to throw out everything we know about how we teach words and sounds and language now. Everything we've been talking about on this podcast for five years now. Um, 
all of that would still apply. It's just, is there other strategies we could use in addition to that um, to honor and respect the gestalts and take advantage of the fact that somebody might be um, using more gestalts than somebody else, right? But it wouldn't necessarily negate teaching uh, analytically <laughs> the way we've been, uh, again, modeling words and showing people individual words and morphemes and teaching them what they mean. We're, I don't know of anybody saying, well, people can't learn that way, right? And certainly we have research and um, uh, professionals and I'm doing the, the, the trifecta here, research, professionals, and uh, autistic adults who say, yes, teach me individual words and teach me individual sounds and teach me how do those go together. Um, adults that have learned that way and say, give me those three things, right? Research, uh, give me the research, give me professionals that say this works, and then, of course, who are the adults that this, this has worked for. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm doing, in my own practice, I'm doing a little bit of both. Um, I haven't, like, you know, for, for students who I suspect are leaning more on the Gestalt language processing side, um, it's not like I've completely abandoned, you know, generative language with single word concepts. But I will say that I've had a lot of success um, incorporating more phrase-based language and um, I've actually programmed some of uh, child's scripts or gestalts that they're using into an AAC system as a way to get them interested and bought in to their AAC system. Um, and so that can be a really big game changer if you're working with a student who has lots of scripting but they're not really interested in their, their AAC system. Uh, programming that in can be a way to get them excited to communicate using their AAC. Um, and then once we get that buy-in, we can then start kind of modeling and doing all the things with the AAC system that we need to do in order to teach them how to, you know, more efficiently and effectively communicate. Yeah, I think you've told stories like that on the podcast before, and I've certainly heard you tell them in um, some of our professional learning experiences where someone was turned off to AAC and maybe they had a negative experience with it. Again, maybe a lot of demands were placed on them. And this thing is a this thing has become a tool where someone barks commands at me and I'm forced to use it. So let me or or for whatever reason it wasn't used in a way that the the user themselves found effective. So what I, what I've heard you say you do is okay, maybe I'll put a phrase on there and now suddenly we're respecting um, the, the the person sees that we're respecting their language, we're respecting, we're, show, we're using this tool in a different way and it's not just to give them commands or force them to do something. And that sort of is a, a, I think your word was a catalyst for, okay, now I can see how I can use this. The door that was once closed is now reopened um, and I can use this to 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 generate language. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that it's been really powerful and, you know, just to reiterate, whenever we have a student saying anything to us and communicating anything, we need to honor it. We need to acknowledge it. And I think oftentimes what happens again with scripting is that like, oh, just ignore it. They're just reciting their favorite Toy Story movie, right? And it's like, no, like actually repeat it back to them and say like, I hear you, like to infinity and beyond, right? Like, and when you do that, oftentimes you have students who look and are like, wow, like, yes, that is what I said. Like, you know, now all of a sudden we're, we're communicating with a shared language and, you know, building that trust and rapport is the first step in any type of relationship uh, where you're trying to build communication skills. Um, and so I think the kind of takeaway is 
acknowledge all communication, which we've been saying for for years on this podcast. Yes, yes, it just yes, exactly. Um, one other thing I'd, I'd like to mention about the Gestalt language processing in general, and is that you and I both have just now, if you go back and listen to what we just said, um, you'll hear us both say phrases. And I think, and I mean, just to talk it out for a second, a phrase, what is the definition of a phrase? It's probably multiple words put together, right? But gestalts could be an individual word. Like, so for instance, ka-chow, right? And I wonder if, like, if someone said ka-chow, uh, again, maybe because, again, that they, they were watching the movie Cars and they had this wonderful moment and it means um, uh, a moment of happiness to them. It's a single word, um, ka-chow, that might convey this meaning of happiness, right? In the same way, for another person, that might be to infinity and beyond. So maybe a way to think of it is a string of syllables together. And for those of us that have learned language and know to segment out the words, it feels like um, to infinity and beyond are four words. And kachow is one word, but really they're all just a bunch of sounds put together that convey meaning. It's this group of sounds, when put together, convey meaning. We're the ones who are segmenting them out. Um, and again, I feel like that's important because it, it could be that people are confused about um, uh, the length, I guess, or that it's individual words put together, but really, I think it sounds. One kind of example from my own practice is I had a student who was using milk and he was saying milk for every beverage. So like for him to say milk meant like I want to drink right now. But like everyone was really confused because we would give him milk and then he'd be like, he'd push it away. Like, oh, you want orange juice? He'd say milk. <laughs> and so I feel like that was an example of how he learned a single word as a gestalt. And he was kind of stuck in that, um, you know, until we started teaching him, okay, like this is juice and this is a smoothie and this is water and this is milk, right? And like the AAC really helped with that. Um, and so I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are out there thinking like, yes, I do have, you know, a student I'm working with who feels like they're... I'll put this in air quotes, overgeneralizing a word. Um, I think that can be a telltale sign that like perhaps when they learned that, that was the first thing they learned. And then they, you know, then they're using that as a gestalt for like something like I'm thirsty or I want to drink. Right. Um, and so I think just like really thinking through the lens of, you know, how, what's the meaning behind this? And then how can I teach how the meaning changes based on the changing of the words or the morphemes or, you know, the, the sentence order, all of those things, sorry, the, the word order, um, all those things kind of put together, uh, I think is really important. And that's kind of our job as SLPs is, you know, teaching how we can manipulate those words um, and morphemes and word order in order to have different meanings. One last thing, and then we'll get to the rest of the episode today. And that is, Rachel, I've been keeping a list in my Google Keep of all the gestalts that I and my family say 
in, in that it would be something that's a shared meaning to us, but maybe not to the rest of the world. So uh, at some future banter, I think we should bring that break out that list, and maybe I'll say what these phrases are, and then you could maybe guess what they mean to us. How, does that sound like a fun game? This sounds like a really fun banter game. I'm excited. Awesome. So look forward to that in a future episode. Before we head into the episode, Chris, I have to say, we are 20 reviews away from 200 reviews on iTunes. If you guys listen to this podcast, help us get to 200 reviews before the end of 2022. Uh, We love reading your reviews. They mean a lot to us. They also help people find this podcast. So if you are a listener of this podcast and you really love what we what we do over here at Talking With Tech, we would love for you to leave us a review. Just go to iTunes, uh, click leave a review, and tell us what you think. We'd love to read it on air. We'd also love to get to 200 reviews by the end of 2022. So today's interview is not an interview at all. It's actually a Talking With Tech Live that we did many moons ago, Rachel, for the Oregon Technology Access Program. Uh, I think we recorded this uh, this particular episode where I guess this particular event uh, for Oregon. It was a while ago. I just know we kept pushing it on the calendar as new interviews came up. We said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll move this down. But we feel like, okay, we, we've we been sitting on it for so long. We've got to get Enough's it out enough. into the world. world. Yes. <laughs> it was like three it was like three years ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but it was a while. Caleb still has another question, so we'll come back and answer that at, on another banter. But without further ado, let's get into part one of our Talking With Tech Live episode event for the Oregon Technology Access Program. My name is Lance McLemore, and I am a team member with Impact Voices. AAC users make up a very small percentage of the population. We are scattered, isolated, and rarely or never get to meet anyone like us. This makes it difficult to impossible to have a community. Impact Voices helps to fill in that gap. Impact Voices is a non-profit organization who supports, empowers, and connects AAC users worldwide. Impact Voices connects AAC users together to empower them to make an impact in their community. Impact Voices creates a space where AAC users of different abilities and experience come together to talk, laugh, encourage each other, and enjoy the company of others like ourselves. For more information on Impact Voices and to get involved, visit our website, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'm Rachel Madel. I'm a speech-language pathologist, and I specialize in technology for communication, and I do a lot of work with kids with autism. I'm in private practice in LA, and those are all the ways to reach me if you have a question or want to follow my work on social media, Um, and I'm super excited because I'm here with Chris Bougay, who is my co-host on the Talking With Tech podcast, Um, and you guys are here for Talking With Tech Live, so hopefully you guys know the Talking With Tech podcast, put it in the chat if you are a listener of the Talking With Tech podcast. I'm, I'm very curious if anyone has started listening because they've been coming to this series. Yeah. You know, I wasn't a listener, but I am now. 
Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, my name is Chris Bouguet and um, I am also a speech language pathologist, but I work in uh, the field of assistive technology. My actual job title is assistive technology specialist, but I don't really like that job title. I much rather consider myself an inclusive design facilitator is that I help people design educational experiences that work for everybody um, and use technology to help do that. Uh, so Rachel, do you want to talk about what this experience is? Yeah, you guys are going to be superstars today. This is a live, well, it's not live, but it's Talking With Tech Live. So it's a podcast recording. So basically, Chris and I were like, you know, we have this podcast and we talk to each other every week, but how do we start talking to our listeners more? Because we really believe that we can all learn from each other. And we decided to create Talking With Tech Live. So essentially what today is going to be is a discussion. We're going to put some um, questions up. You guys are going to have a chance to ask some of your questions that have been really challenging, um, you know, and on your mind lately. And together we're going to talk about solutions. We're going to share strategies. We're going to give tools and you're going to have one location for all of those things. And we're going to kind of get into the, the details. Um, there's this link here and that link takes you to the page where you're able to ask a question. And so, um, hopefully you guys have some questions so we can, um, get the discussion going. Um, and I have to say, get them in fast because I feel like we never have time to answer them all. Um, so you can click on this link. Actually, I have the link here so we can simply put it in the chat. Um, so we just wanted to dive in and start getting the questions and start talking about them. So if you want to respond to a question, you can simply put it in the chat. You can, um, the, the more efficient place is to put it in the spreadsheet, which we're going to show you and link to, um, you can see that there's different tabs because they're the different events that we've done so far. Um, and then you can simply type into the spreadsheet to answer, share a link. Um, you also can come and put your microphone on and talk through some strategies or solutions that you found useful in your practice. Um, so it's up to you what comfort level you feel. Um, but this is all going to be recorded and we're going to air it on our podcast. Um, so I'm really excited to get started. It looks like everyone has tons of questions, which is good. We have... so, let me explain what we're looking at here just uh, real quick. So the way first, does, I'm seeing a couple of people have popped in here just to make sure you didn't miss it. If you go to the slide deck, there are two slides. The first slide takes you to the Google form where you can submit a question. But the second slide that just says responses is a place where if you click on that responses, and in fact, hold on, I can put that in the chat too. I'm putting it in right now. Oh, you're doing it? Okay. Yeah. If you click on that, it'll take you to this spreadsheet and everything over here in D, E, F, G, you see solutions, ideas, strategies, tools, that's all editable, meaning you have editing rights to that. And in fact, if you look at what we did at Closing the Gap, you can see people asked questions and over here is where participants wrote responses. Well, you know, hey, I know a great tool for that or here's what we do in our neck of the woods, again, to kind of crowdsource ideas. Um, so do you, we, we need your questions, you guys. What's been the struggle? And I think we all have some some challenges, especially lately. Um, so curious, I see, I mean, we can start with Alexandria to start talking about some assessment. What do you say, Chris? Yeah, so well, let's throw it out to the group. Um, 
how do you do, how are you currently doing assessments? We'd like to invite you to, if you are um, currently doing assessments and you're like, you know what, I have some cool strategies or here's what's worked well for me. We'd like to invite you to come on the mic right now and share with us what's working for you. We got to help Alexandria out. Oh, we just got another question. Got Exciting. Another question. Did you guys realize that you were going to be the presentation today? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> So here's a question, Alexandria. Um, I guess it's a follow-up question. And we'd like to invite you on the mic if you feel comfortable. If not, you can put it in the chat. Um, or you can, uh, I guess you, you don't have editing rights to these columns. So it's going to be one of those two, two ways, Alexandria. But when you say completing assessments, do you mean uh, AAC uh, assessments? Like for determining the type of communication device that you think a student might need? Is that what you mean? Or do you mean like, SLP or, you know, speech language pathology assessment, or can we, can we ask for a little bit more in depth about what you're asking about here? And again, feel free to unmute, right, Deb? You can, people can unmute, right? They are encouraged to, yes. You were thinking about more communication assessments. Okay, Alexandria, does that mean AAC? Just mm, a PLS5. Language. Okay, gotcha. Standardized assessments. The PLS, it feels hard because preschool, that's what I, that's what I read. Preschool, <laughs> preschoolers are the hardest, I think, um, via telepractice, just because they're like busy little bodies are going all over. And, um, it's sometimes hard to get them to attend, um, for long periods of time. Well, let me ask, is there other, are there other people here? You can just put it in the chat that are doing the same thing. No, it's not. It's not off topic, Alexandria. It's it's quite on topic. Are there other people doing the similar things? Like, yes, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. We'd love to see that in the chat. Yeah, or, I'm no, curious. not really. I'm curious what's happening in Oregon as far as like assessments and like in, in LA. Actually, we just. LAUSD, I say we, I don't have any affiliation with them, but um, the biggest school district in LA just decided to start doing in-person assessments because there's so many kids on wait lists. But up until that point, there was no assessments happening at all. I think there's a lot of that going on right now here in Oregon. I think it, I'm not going to speak for everybody and I'm certainly an SLP, but from my state level perspective, that's what I'm hearing. Certainly with mm -hmm alternatives what are you doing um and what have been the, is it because you are not able to be with them are you looking for ways to do that virtually mm -hmm. i can um let's see here we go there we Deborah go says oh look we got a bunch of people are now it's popping off now the chat's going here we go everyone's waking up Lee says we have an Adventure Island Google Classroom for preschoolers that all our families can access. It's highly successful. I love that. That's fun. Wait, what's Adventure Island? I don't Lee, what's Adventure Island? I'm not familiar. And Lee, again, feel free to unmute if you want. You don't have to come on screen. You could just be your voice if you'd like. Okay, here I am. <laughs> Yay. Thanks, Lee. Okay. Um, so Adventure Island is our um, real classroom that we had before we closed back March 13th. 
And uh, so remember, children can come in and play with toys and interact with us, and the families join the parent, the children too. Um, and we read uh, children's literature um, provided by our local library, and we have art, and um, it's just a really fun place. Well, we've recreated that on the Google Classroom site, and we called it Adventure Island because that was the name of our of our real classroom. So we're um, right now we're studying snowman and we have a Google slide in there and they can click on the snowman or different things. And what, what I wanted to really say, there's a snowman you can click on. And um, we pulled in a PE activity, which is a gingerbread man and the kids love it. So they stand up during the teletherapy and start running around. And so it's really a lot of fun. That's amazing. And like, it solves the problem of preschoolers not wanting to sit, right? <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what that's what kind of triggered this thought when I was thinking, because I just watched it today for the first time. And the coolest thing, we had a, a little boy there. I think he's five now. And he says, can we do this again? I thought, how cute. <laughs> yeah. That's when you know you're doing something right. Yeah. Someone's like, can we do it again? I loved it so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing you know that. who else you're doesn't welcome. like to sit? Any student. They like to move. <laughs> it's true. Look at Megan nodding along with her her daughter, right? You are you Megan? Are you part of Adventure Island? Have you seen this and play with it too? Yeah, that you you had a hand yeah. in creating it. Lee and I are. Uh, she's my SLP. I'm an assistant, and so um, I was uh, helping with that um, gingerbread man chase. It was super fun. <laughs> Love it. So I have to add one more thing. Um, Back in March, I didn't even know what a web camera was. And until this weekend, I didn't really understand Google, but I spent 24 hours in there and just going through and trying to figure it out. And it's really hard. Listen, I am so impressed. I feel like a lot of people were like, I don't know any of this technology. And it's really awesome that you took the time to figure it out. Because think about the impact that you guys are making now with such a cool activity yeah that's true but everything's hard until you do it right lee i mean well yeah <laughs> it was like, really hard i just like exactly but like it took it took all weekend it did it took all weekend <laughs> well i i'm but sure you're talking to somebody starting at ground zero here so i had to learn all about google first so. Well, I applaud you because uh, I have a little uh, plaque here that says life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Uh, many people do not push themselves there, but that's where the growth happens. And that's where you're going to reach back and go. Yeah, I remember when I couldn't and now I can. Proud of you. Exactly, Deborah. I was just going to champion the same thing that um, that. Uh, if it's worth doing, then there's going to be a little struggle. And so Lee, thank you for doing that. Cause I think you're right, Deborah. I think there's some people that shy away from it and be like, I'm not doing that, or I can't do that. And they have this defeatist attitude. And you said, I'm going to step up and do it. So congratulations. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Now, there's other responses to this question. Some people say, well, Alexander, you said you're doing language samples. Um, other people said they're using the communication matrix. Deborah, what's the communication matrix? Uh, communication matrix is a is an online um, assessment for kind of emerging communicators kind of up to that typical two-year age level um, and yeah you can do it all online with families which is kind of nice um, just go through the questions online and, and the team can work through it together and then it gives you information about the levels the students at and the communication behaviors you're seeing and that gives you a really good baseline to figure out where to write some goals and to measure progress um, and yeah it's just it's a really helpful tool <laughs> 
Deborah, quick, I have a quick follow-up question to that. Were you using the communication matrix prior to this? Because it existed and it was around, and I think it was, you know, somewhat used. Um, and in fact, Deborah, if I'm, and tell me I'm, I might be wrong here, uh, both Debras, De Deborah Fitzgibbons and and the, the Deborah I'm talking to, you've done trainings on the communication matrix, right? That, yeah, yes. that's true. <laughs> yeah, both Debs. So is this... <laughs> That's right. So Deborah, I'm sure knows more about it than I do because she's more in that field. But a lot of the folks at um, at OHSU, is it OHSU? Yeah, correct. But yeah. And so a lot of people working with it from the research standpoint, and Deb Lesher is certainly a champion of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great tool, free. And I was using it before, um, but we don't really do assessments in my program. We, we coach and help other people do assessments. But what would happen before is I would coach somebody and I'd end up doing most of it, <laughs> you know. And um, so now online, it really is so great because we're all really a team together doing it, which I think gives you the best results and the parents are so involved. Um, so it, it's kind of been one of those silver linings to, to do the assessment in this distance learning format. I couldn't agree more. I like love that. And, um, I have been doing some virtual AAC assessments and it's even more important. Um, I think when you're figuring out what tool to use, um, and I think it's the silver lining. I love the communication matrix. It's so easy to do via telepractice because you just share your screen and you go through it together. Um, and then it puts, it, it makes that beautiful chart for you where you can see, you know, the skills. So I'm happy that you guys are using that. It's a really great tool. Um, any other suggestions as far as eight, uh, assessments, virtual assessments? So I'm going to drop a link to a webinar that we did um, last year for Echo Voices. Uh, that's a recording of that session on the communication matrix. And thank you, Alexandria. Yeah, it's not affiliated with OHSU anymore. Uh, that's where it kind of had some of its roots. He's saying it's a nonprofit now. I'm going to drop a link in. So if you wanted to look a little bit more about that, you can. I'm going to add a little bit to the assessment question and then uh, perhaps we can move on unless somebody else has something else to share. Um, I think one of the most important things, of course, is the case history and talking with families. I think you can get a lot of information if you ask really strategic questions. Um, I use a lot of videos in um, my sessions. I have families take videos um, because we can't always capture, um, you know, a good language sample, for example, um, when it's like, okay, it's Monday at 10, 10 a.m. It's time for your assessment. Um, you know, the same way that when we're in person, we don't always get a, a, a good, you know, grasp of what's happening. And so I love using video and having family members take video of a, of a child to really, you know, see kind of what their language skills are. Um, and it's also not as, as much pressure when it's like, okay, like open the computer, you're on. Um, so that's a strategy that I use. Um, and I think just really training communication partners on how to optimize assessments virtually. So that means thinking about the environment, like where is the student? Are they seated in a chair with their feet on the floor? Um, you know, it, what's the, the, the background noise situation? Are siblings running around? I think all of the kind of prep work before an assessment um, can really help to optimize it. There's, of course, those curveballs that come and you're like, oh, well, I didn't expect that. 
that. Um, but the more we can do ahead of time to kind of prepare a family um, for assessment, I think uh, the better. Can I throw in one other follow-up thing here, Rachel? Mm -hmm. um, Alice and uh, Alexandria, you both mentioned in your in the chat that you've been that you've been using language samples. And my question to you is: Is that something you picked up? Um, is it something you've always been doing, or is it something that is new or newer because of our circumstances during the pandemic? I'm curious. Um, I can't answer for myself. I've been, uh, at least for my side of it, um, I'm trying to do the same thing that I typically do in terms of speech and language samples, just virtually. So like I use a lot of wordless picture books. Um, so I've just taken pictures of all the pages and made slideshows and show those. So the kids are narrating the same wordless picture books I would present um, in a, a in-person session. So um, that's... I've only done one of those so far, but uh, it went okay. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. I was copying some things. I'm copying some things over from the chat to the spreadsheet because the idea is that you guys have this in one place. So you can go back, you can refer to what was that link or that webinar that someone recommended. Um, so feel free to add links and things like that into the spreadsheet. Um, I, I don't know, Chris, should we, should we move on to the next question? Sure. Sure. You bet. Let's see. So the next question is how do we help teams who are struggling to provide students for AAC and remote learning? I know someone who is 11 years old, not attending school at all when her four siblings are because nobody knows how to work with someone who doesn't communicate in the typical way. So do people know people like this? Is this a challenge for anybody else? That may be a toughie because what you're looking at are people who are the professionals that provide those kind of supports. And I don't know that anybody feels like that they, they are missing anybody, but it's very easy to feel like you're missing somebody right now. Um, it, it's just hard to know is it is. Okay, Allison, thank you for something there. Allison, right. I, I know of nonverbal students who are not attending school, but it is parent choice, not the school team choice. Oh, that's very different. Yeah, that is very different. I'm not aware of students, at least in my neck of the woods, that are not attending school, meaning they're attending if they're in the distance learning environment. Um, and then we are doing everything we can um, to provide supports to them um, and their family. Like in this case, when there are four siblings, what screams to me is doing some sort of tr training group for, let's get those four siblings in here with the family for, even if it's a half hour, if we can coordinate something to talk about how we can support that fifth sibling and help use those communication devices. I was going to say for my students that I know of that are not attending who um, it's more parent choice, they still get asynchronous materials. So we're still sending things home like core vocabulary books that the family can practice or videos that the family can watch, but their child can't attend to a screen for very long. And that's a big part of the choice of why they're mm -hmm. not attending. Thank you so much, Allison, for that input. And I think you're right. I think that um, 
Sherry also kind of to piggyback on that. Sherry says, I have the same issue. Many of my children with complex needs are not attending school at all or barely, usually because parents are so overwhelmed. And yes, I think there's a ton of parent overwhelm right now. Um, You know, parents are trying to work and also be teachers and parents, you know, and so there's kind of a lot going on. Um, I love Allison that you mentioned the asynchronous because I think that's where we really have power. to help families, even when we can't be in close contact with them. Um, I think that you can send a lot of resources. Um, I'm a big fan of using Edpuzzle. Um, so I use Edpuzzle and I, um, basically create like short videos based on whatever a student's interested in. And you can put and pause a video, um, essentially. And then what happens is you can put like a prompt, like model go, and then you hit play and it starts the video again. Um, I love using that as a way to kind of encourage parents to model, um, with things that are really exciting for kids. So I always say like, what's their favorite video or what's their favorite song? Um, so I'll actually link to that in the, in the, um, spreadsheet. Um, I have a video on like how I use it, um, for AAC specifically. Um, but I think the more that we can provide families with, you know, ideas, um, to, of things to practice, um, that are, it's kind of a low hanging fruit. Um, I think the better. And even putting the core board on the refrigerator so everybody who passes by starts uh, using it in, in even a fun way for kids. And I don't think anybody is is really um, is really trying to not provide supports. It's, and I think that anybody who might think that may not know the whole story because it could be that somebody sees that somebody's not going to school and all of a sudden it's, well, they're not going to school because nobody knows how to treat them. And so I think there's probably more to every story and for parents to be opting out. Uh, I mean, it makes, makes sense. I really love what um, Alice had mentioned earlier too about the wordless picture books. Those, and, and like you said, doing videos, um, stuff that might fit into a typical routine. Like, a, I mean, if the, if there's a five siblings here, I can sort of, or you know, five at least five kids in this family, I could totally picture a shared reading time, or hey, we're all going to watch a show together, or something like that. And so, strategies that or mealtime, you know, um, so strategies that, that can help them infuse the communication device um, during those times makes a lot of sense to me. 